Good morning. Good, you're awake. You've had your cup of coffee. That's good. Thanks for allowing me last week. I love what God's doing here as far as a teaching team. and allows me to every once in a while sneak out. And so thanks for, for the team that God's putting together. And Natalie was able to, to speak last week and share God's heart with you from Philippians chapter 2. As we continue our series in Philippians on the idea of one, this morning we're looking at Philippians chapter 3 and, and um, asking that question for us is what is a goal? It's that time of the year. There's two times of the year really where we kind of set goals. There's that goal time around January as we get into a new year and people set those goals of, hey, I'm going to lose weight or I'm going to get to the gym or I'm going to do whatever. And by about February, we realized those goals were really dreams, right? And so there's a difference between a goal and a dream. And this is one of those time of the times of the year as well as you kind of get back into school and all that. You think about, hey, I want my kids to, to do whatever, or I want to be a better parent, and we kind of, again, get into this mindset of it's a new year, it's a fresh start, we're going to be setting some goals. But there's difference between goals and dreams. Dreams are something that we aspire to or that we hope for. There's wishful thinking. We, we kind of dream and we literally think, man, I wish that this would happen, and we just kind of let it just kind of sit there and ruminate, and it's nothing really ever happens. The difference between a dream and a goal is a goal, a dream can become a goal, and when it becomes a goal, it's then something that action requires. Whenever you have a goal, you begin to take action steps. There's a cost to it. There's, as you move forward with that goal, it's going to cost you something. You're going to give up some things, start some things. It's an action-oriented thing where a dream is just something we just kind of sit around and think about but never really do anything. And this morning, I want us to think about last week or a couple of weeks ago when we taught in Philippians chapter 1, Verses 20 through 21, Paul said, My eager expectation and hope, which was not wishful thinking, but was thinking in a dream, a goal-oriented thing. And his goal was, is that for me to live as Christ. And so he was action-oriented. He was moving toward this thing of he wanted to be. He was making steps so that he could say, for me to live as Christ. For him to live as Christ meant that his life... And the things that he was doing, the things that he was about, was so that he could raise up and bring honor and glory to Christ through the way that he's living out the gospel. That he had met Jesus and it had so transformed his life that now everything that his life had been about now was reinterpreted. He had a new purpose and a new meaning, which before had been against Christ, but now it's for Christ. And so he's saying, for me to live is Christ. This is my eager hope and anticipation. I'm going forward with it. I'm moving forward. And so then you get over here to Philippians chapter 3 that we're going to be in today. And in Philippians chapter 3 verse 10, Paul says, my goal is to know him. Not my dream, not my hope, but my goal is that this is an action-oriented thing that Paul is saying. Is that as I examine everything, here I am in prison, I'm examining my life, I'm examining everything going. And he's telling the Philippians, as I look at all these things in the midst of even these dire circumstances of life, my goal is still to know him. Now he says a few more things after that, but this idea of a goal to know him is an interesting thing. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to flip around just a little bit here in Philippians. But Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Now here's one of the things I want you to get is this idea of a goal means it's an action-oriented thing. And here's a quote from a book called The Four Disciplines of Execution. It says this, To achieve a goal you have never achieved before, you start doing things you have never done before. Now, that's pretty simple, right? It makes sense. But sometimes we sit around and we think, hey, I wish X, 
And we dream about it and wish about it, but we never take the action steps to actually have that change. So if you want to be a great Greek scholar, then you have to study Greek, right? Which means you're going to have to go find somebody who knows Greek. If you want to be a great hitter in baseball, you go find someone who's a hitting coach and you spend time. You You spend time investing in that. And so here Paul is saying, my goal is, my desire is to know him, and I am going to sit at his feet, and I'm going to study, and I want to know him. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. My goal is to know him, and that him is Christ. Now this idea of knowing, we've talked about over the last few weeks and months as well, is so just circle that word know, is not just a, hey, I want to sit and study. It's an experiential relationship, time-sensitive type thing that we want to know them. And in the context of discipleship, it kind of gives us an interesting idea because when we think about church and an American 21st century church, when we talk about discipleship, time after time we think about, hey, I'm a disciple of Jesus, so therefore as a disciple of Jesus, I come and sit here on Sundays and I listen to the to the preaching. I may go to a, a, a life group. I may serve, I may do some different things, but most of the time when we think about discipleship today, it is someone's teaching us and we're taking in this lecture idea. Well, in Jesus' day and in those days, that was not fully the idea of what it meant to be a disciple and to know someone. And so whenever Paul says, hey, I want to know him, he's using this discipleship type language, means I want to be a disciple of him, I want to know him, I want to literally, I want to live and do life with him. And so in those days, to be a disciple of someone, to be a disciple of a rabbi or a sage, you were personally invited and called by name and called by your reputation. And so Jesus, whenever he called out his disciples, the disciples understood this, that he was a, he was a sage, he was a rabbi, he was a religious teacher. And so whenever he called out to Matthew and he said, Matthew, come follow me, that was rabbi invitation, you get to be a disciple, a student of me, literally, come sleep on my couch, come hang out with me, come fish with me, come cook dinner with me, come garden with me, come do life with me. That's that experiential type of no. It's not just a, yes, they got to sit at his feet and to listen, but it's a life habit being with Jesus kind of a thing. And so Paul as a student, was a student of the rabbi Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was one of the top rabbis of the day. And so Paul, because of his reputation as a great student and a great mind, was invited by Gamaliel. He called him on AT&T and said, Hey, Paul, come be a student of mine. I want you. I've heard the reputation of you, and I would love for you to do life with me. So, Paul, let's you're going to wash dishes, you're going to sleep on my couch, we're going to go gardening, we're going to go fishing, we're going to walk from place to place. And so there's actually this idea of that as disciples of a rabbi that we would so look like our rabbi that they would know that we're a student of that rabbi. So they would say, hey, Paul is a disciple of a student of Gamaliel because of the stories that he told, the way that he told them, the voice inflection, everything that Paul would do, he would so mimic Gamaliel that people would know without a doubt that he was a disciple of him. So interestingly enough, at our house the last few weeks, we've sent off a daughter to college, and that's been fun and exciting. And as a part of those discussions, we've been talking about how your kids 
begin to look and act and think like you. And so there have been moments in our house where our kids would do something and it's really bad. You know, they do something bad or not appropriate or whatever. And I'm like, <laughs> you're acting like your mom again, you know. And so and then they do something really good and nice and great. And I'm like, <laughs> those are my kids. They're acting like me. Right. And so but isn't it interesting how no matter what, that you, as we grow up, we look back and we go, we do something and we're like, oh my gosh, I'm like my mom or like my dad. And, and that's because our parents have discipled us. We've been so consumed by living in that life and doing life with them that even though they've tried to teach us things, we've caught more from our parents than they ever taught us. And so in reality, that's what discipleship is, is that as we do life together, that we catch what it means to be a human. We catch what it means to love. We catch what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We catch what it means, all these different things. And so it just shouldn't surprise us as adults that when our kids become adults, that they look and act and think like us and they hate it. But it's because they've been discipled by us, because they know us the good and the bad, because we're our truest self behind closed doors in our home, good and bad. And so if you don't like what you're seeing in yourself, then you need to get transformed because guess what? Your kids are going to mimic you. You're going to have many me's. If you don't like what you're seeing in your kids, they're mimicking you. And so Paul here is using this discipleship, gnosko, no language, is I invite you in. And Paul's like, man, I want to be invited. I've been invited into this, as a disciple of Jesus, and I want to know him. I want to live in the house of Jesus. And so because I know that under pressure, Jesus is love. I know that whenever everything else, everyone else says those are people are disposable, Jesus is love. And so he understands that it means to live in the house of Jesus and he's going to catch the things of Jesus and he's going to look and act and think and talk like Jesus. That's his desire. And so when Paul says, my goal is to know him, it means to sit at the feet of Jesus and to live in his house and to literally at some point begin to ooze and so that people would say that Paul guy, they see less of Paul and more of Jesus, that he sits at the feet of Jesus and he loves like Jesus, he thinks like Jesus, he teaches like Jesus. He is a mini-me of Jesus, which is the term Christian. Christian means little Christ's. And so our terminology is that as people see us and as we do life and as we love and care and do things, they should be able to say, hey, they are from the house of Jesus to know him. But this idea of goal versus dream means that it's going to cost us something. Because a goal costs you. If you want to do or to be or to achieve a certain goal, then you are setting priorities. And in setting a priority here to know Jesus and then be in his house, then that means other things have to go away. That means you can't do this or you choose not to do this. And so because the goal is to know him and to sit at his feet at all costs and to sleep on his couch and to work with him, then that means other things have to go because your goal is to know him. That's why when Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, he says, For me to live is Christ. I live in his house. I eat his food. I Drink his drink. All the things that he's doing, I'm doing it. And so that as he walks along, I hope that his dust's 
His dust kicks up on me that I want to be so close to him that the dust of my rabbi kicks up on me and I can claim, if nothing else, I eat from the scraps of his table and his dust kicks up on me. And people can say, this person is a disciple and lives in the house of Jesus. For my goal is to know him. Look at the second part of that verse, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. It says, for my goal is to know him. And then the second part is to know the power of his resurrection. Well, for there to be resurrection, which is the good thing, the victorious thing, the thing that we kind of like to celebrate, we also have to remember there has to be crucifixion. And so Paul understands that for him to experience the power of the resurrection, it also means that there has to be the process of the crucifixion, which means death. And so for us as followers of Jesus, for us to experience the power of the resurrection, which resides within inside of us through the power of the Spirit of the living God, because we're the temple, we can overcome things, but that means that we also have to experience the crucifixion. We have to experience death, and death to ourself, our own agenda, our own stuff, because now we're a disciple of His, and we live by His house rules. And so to experience the victorious life that we want, there also has to be the experience of the crucifixion and the death. So my goal is to know him and to understand as best as I can what it means to die to myself so I can experience the crucifixion, so I can experience the resurrection. And also, he says, not only the power of the resurrection, but also I want to be able to experience the fullness of fellowship in his suffering. Now, that idea of fellowship, we've said over the last few weeks again, is that word koinonia, which is an experience together type thing, like that you've been on vacation together with some friends and y'all took some photographs and you came back and you were sharing that experience with your friends and you're like, hey, how oh, yeah, right here, this was this. And you begin to laugh and you begin to tell stories and you begin to talk about the food that you ate or whatever. And so you have these shared experiences that others cannot be a part of because they didn't go on the trip and they weren't in the picture. And so that those of you that are in that picture, you have a koinonia fellowship. There's a shared experience. And so for us, as we gather together on Sundays, we have koinonia fellowship around the shared experience of saying yes to Jesus and having an experience what it means to be transformed and knowing Christ. And so as we gather together, we have this fellowship. And so Paul here is saying, my goal is to know him and, and to live in his house and to experience the crucifixion and the and the power of the resurrection, but also to have fellowship with him, not just in the good times where we gather together around food, but to experience fellowship with him in what? In his sufferings. <laughs> That's upside down. Because when we think about, hey, I want a fellowship, we're like, hey, we're tweeting out, we're Instagram and Snapchat and all that stuff. We're like, hey, listen, gather together for the party because you bring the food. And that's the fellowships that we want to fellowship around. And Paul's saying, listen, hey, look, hey, guys, guess what? We're going to get beat. People are going to make fun of us. They're going to talk bad about us. As a matter of fact, your girlfriend is going to leave. You know, I mean, all these different things that's going to happen for the sufferings of the cross. And Paul is saying, I want to so know him that I count that as joy. To suffer as Christ suffered. Because we have a tendency, again, to think about that Jesus, you know, he, all the good things, but also to realize that, listen, Jesus was attacked by Satan. He was attacked by people. His own disciples and his best friends left him. It wasn't just easy, rosy. And so for us, as followers of Jesus, to know him means the fullness of know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings means to know him and to do life in his house means we're going to experience some stuff. But that part of that is knowing him, to fully know him is to walk 
in that stuff and so that we can look and think and act and care and love like Him and understand what it means to know Him. The gnosko know, discipleship know Jesus. And it's so much more than just showing up on Sunday. It's so much more than just being in a life group. It's so much more than even helping in Awanas. It's so much more. Those are good things. But to know him takes time. It costs us. And so that's our priority as it pause. As that begins to become our priority, we begin to, to look at those priorities. That becomes number one. Then all these other things become in alignment. As guess what? Here's the one thing that I know is that as I begin to know him and put that a priority, it makes me a better husband. It makes me a better father. It makes me a better pastor. For me to live as Christ, it puts all those things, but it costs me something. If I want to pursue my wife and have a date on a Friday night, then it's going to cost me. It's not only going to cost me to have the date, right? It's going to cost me that, but I'm going to have to set aside time on my schedule. I'm going to, have to rearrange some priorities and all because my heart's desire is to pursue. Why? Because I love her. So that's... The deal is Jesus is waiting for a date. It's just a matter of it's a priority for us to be able to align ourselves and to count the costs and to pursue the one that is waiting. To know him, I want to know him fully and to be in his house. Jump up to verse 1 real quick. Can you all listen fast? Okay, I'll talk fast. Verse 1. So in addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Now, this idea of rejoice is joy that has nothing to do with circumstances, okay? but it also has to do with the source of his joy, which is it's also his strength. And so his circumstances are not good. He's in prison. It's not the greatest place to be. But as he looks around, he counts up that I have nothing else in my life is good. I still have one thing that I can be joyful about, and that is my salvation in Christ. And it's also my strength. It's this thing that gives me strength, that gives me hope. Not wishful hope, but a hope that is confirmed in Christ. And so it's his strength. Look at verse 2. Watch out for the dogs. And he says, watch out three times. And so here Paul is with emphasis telling us that, hey, if your goal is to know him, if your goal is to be in the house of Jesus, there are going to be those that are going to try to make it easier. There are going to be those that try to distract you. There are going to be those that try to teach you some different things. Because it sounds easy just to get an invitation to the house of Jesus and just to sit at his feet and to sup and to dine and do stuff. But there's going to be distractions to that. So watch out for the dogs. Now, these dogs... We have, a, again, in our world, we, we have dogs and we've domesticated them, we brought them in and we call them all kinds of cool names and we feed them and spend thousands of thousands of dollars upon these dogs and we call them our kids and all this stuff. In Jesus' day, that was not the case. They were pack herds, they were the scavengers, they ate the trash, they would attack people, people would call. If you were a dog, you were the lowest of the low of society. And so here are the religious people of the day, Paul is talking about them and to them, the religious people of day who had raised themselves up as a religious teacher is like, if you want to know what holy is, don't even look at God, look at me. Because I'm a priest and all this. And so they had set themselves up. If you want to be holy, then you attain to what I am. And so here Paul is talking to them and he's saying, if you think that that's what righteousness is, watch out. You're just like the dog. You're the lowest of lows in God's eyes because you're pursuing what you think for yourself. 
Watch out for those dogs, those that would teach you that you can attain a certain level of righteousness. Watch out for those who are the evil workers. Watch out for those who would enter into and would create strife among you, that their whole desire is to create disunity and chaos. Watch out for those who would mutilate the flesh. Literally, that they would, this is a play on words, the mutilating of the flesh, and in the verse 3, circumcision, a play on words for Paul. And that this mutilators of the flesh is literally that cut your body up into pieces because you're about the ritual, not about the heart. So here Paul says to us, if your goal is to know him and all this, watch out for the distraction because people will quickly add things and say that you have to do this, you have to reach a certain level, or you have to, to do things in a certain way, or you have to do these certain rituals so that you can attain righteousness. And Paul says, no, watch out for those things because it's quickly our hearts are drawn to check off lists and not to the relationship. Then we'll get verse 3. Paul says, for we are the circumcision." And the circumcision is a heart that has been made new. That as we've come into this relationship with God, as we've been invited into the house of Jesus and we, we sit with him, that we have a new beginning, a new heart. That it's not about religion, it's not about rituals, it's not about any of this other stuff to attain to. It's about a relationship with him. That we are the circumcision. And then he gives us a description of the circumcision. They're the ones who worship by the Spirit of God. That is the Spirit, when we say yes to Jesus, that we become the temple of God and the Holy Spirit takes residence with inside of us. And so just singing on Sundays is not worship. All right, so when you go to work on Monday, that's worship. When you go to football practice or volleyball practice or go to school or whatever you're doing, that is an act of worship because you are the temple of the living God and you are going. And wherever God goes, you give him glory and there is worship. Your work is part of your worship. For we are ones who also boast in Christ Jesus, that we have confidence in him so that we proclaim his name, that this is our our testimony. And then also the next thing he says, and we do not put confidence in the flesh. Because here Paul follows that that phrase of, don't put confidence in the flesh, because listen, if anyone could put confidence in flesh, it was I, Paul, and then he begins to describe, hey, listen, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was from the right tribe. I was studied at the feet of Gamaliel. I was all these different things that you could check off for righteousness. Paul reached all those things. And then along the road to Damascus, he met Jesus. And as he tells us in verse 7, after listing off all the reasons for confidence in the flesh, he says, but then I met Jesus. And when I met Jesus, then I realized All those things that I thought brought advantage to me in the religious realm were rubbish. Look at verse 7. But everything that was a gain or advantage to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. What's he say? My Lord. There's that personal, intimate relationship. This, again, that word knowing, circle it. It's the same one that's in verse 10. That experiential, relational thing. And he's saying, I've come to know that he loves me and that I love him. Through that time, of the, the relationship, the pursuing of one another. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things. And consider them as dumb. As trash. 
as refuge. The, the very things that I thought brought me worth and value, the religious things, when I met Christ, they become dung and literally do away with them because my righteousness has nothing to do with those things. It has nothing to do with my education or my wealth or whatever. It has everything to do with Jesus. That's where my worth and value in him comes from. And being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ Jesus. The righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him. To be in the house of him and to have power of his resurrection and the fellowship with him. This morning, as we think about that, we think about what does it mean for us to know him? What does it mean for us to experience knowing Jesus? And that for us to say, for me to live as Christ. It's, it's real easy in our humanity to say, hey, today we're here and we're like, hey, my goal is to know him. My goal is for me to, to live as Christ. And it's easy. And then Monday comes, right? And so those things easily, Monday easily distracts us. The pursuits of other things easily become more important in the moment than to know him and to experience him fully and the power of his suffering and the, what it means to, to die to self. So our challenge this week, I want to just challenge you to think about what does it look like for us to pursue Jesus, to be in his house, to sleep on his couch, to do dishes with him, to, to live with him, and to make him a priority. What does it look like for us? Each one of us, it'll look different. It may mean scheduling some time, doing away from some things or whatever to pursue him and him alone. But that's our goal. That's our hope. That's our eager expectation. That as we know him, people look at us and say, hey, there goes Chris. He looks a little bit like Jesus. I want to know that Jesus. And it's not an overnight thing. It's a day-by-day-by-day-by-day pursuit of knowing him. Let's sleep on the couch at Jesus' house. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to know you. We truly want that to be our goal. Father, we do want to say for me to live is Christ. Father, may you just continue to be patient with us. Continue to teach us. Continue to allow us to sit at your feet, but allow us just to live and to walk and to talk with you and to ask you questions and to realize that we're going to wake up as we continue to pursue this and to live in your house, that we're going to wake up in five years and ten years and fifteen years and twenty years and people are going to say, man, you love differently. You live differently. You think differently. You see the world differently. You have compassion where others don't. You have empathy and sympathy where others don't or where you once did not before. And that not that we can boast in ourselves that we can say that it's because I've been sleeping on the couch in Jesus' house and I've caught so much from Him, from hanging out from Him and knowing Him. That I've seen Him in the house and I've seen where He's 
in the most vulnerable places and I've seen the truth of who he is in the good and the bad and I know that he's trustworthy. And that I look more like my dad and I think more like my dad and I talk more like my dad and I do things more like my dad than I did 10 years ago because I've been hanging out with my dad. Father, may we know you that well. It's in your son's name.